Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. A video has emerged tonight that captures the tense moments leading up to a born video surface today in the shooting death of a young man. New Year's Day. Killed a man on New Year's Day. Officers positioned Grant face first on the floor with one officer near his head, a second near his back, and a third officer standing near him. But we also want to warn viewers who may find the video disturbing to watch and may want to turn away. Turn away. All around me are Very, 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 very
but there's nothing left. Police be taking shots, everybody's vexed. Children on the block, Papa working at eight. Mama doing a lot, but economy's in the tank. Where's the peace and equality? All we going insane. Can we stop the brutality? People looking for change. Haters looking for blame. Sanity's looking insane. There's no hope for humanity. Let's the planet's humane. It is I, it's Mr. Tone Deaf. I have came out the office and I am going to do one of many editions of Unscripted. This one particular one is actually called Behind the Badge. Now, for those guys who've known me for quite a long time, you know that I'm that kind of person who likes to go above and beyond what the typical story is being told to you. So in order for me to be able to get behind the badge, of course, I would have to do one of two things. I would either A, have to become an officer, and my out of shape self would not make the cut. So that's definitely not happening. So I did the next best thing. I went and actually found a former police officer who is going to actually sit here and answer some of the questions that not only do I have, but some of our listeners have had over the years in regards to it. Now, this particular young lady is a very special lady. Um, She has been here on Tone Deaf Radio once before, not too long ago on the breakdown. She did a wonderful candid interview with Jacob in regards to a slew of things about being an officer but we're going to go ahead and we're going to dive a little bit deeper in what they have already talked about and I'd like to go ahead and introduce you guys today to the author author of the truth divided Ms. Nakaya Jones how are you doing today ma'am all right how are you I am doing fantastic doing fantastic now for those who haven't had an opportunity to check out that edition of the breakdown and first of all shame on you people for not go ahead and check that out we can be found on spreaker itunes google play basically anywhere you can find your podcast that so make sure you check out that interview it's a great one uh tell us a little bit about you miss jones i like other than the fact that you are an author what, what what else is going on with you in your everyday life um, well, everybody knows that I was a law enforcement officer. I became a police officer in 1996. Mm. Um, I've been to three different departments. Um, I started out in East Cleveland, um, where I grew up at, actually. Mm. Part of my life I spent in East Cleveland. Um, I left there and went to Highland Hills, which is a very small suburb. And then I left there and went to Warrensville Heights, where, uh, I, I last worked up uh, being the first and only African American female police officer. Um, I also write gospel plays. Uh, oh. I've written seven so far. Okay. <laughs> yes, um, okay. and they have been phenomenal. Um, we usually sell out every time we put on one. Um, and I'm also a consultant now for a new uh, series that's coming out, the, the Land FAU. Okay. Um, and I'm really, really excited with working with. Uh, 
with that crew and uh, Dominique Perrymore, she's actually the she actually wrote the series and she's actually starring in it, but she asked me to be a consultant. So I'm kind of excited about that all. Oh, okay. So when you get a chance, I'm going to go ahead, I'm going to send you a, a headshot and, and a videotape of my acting skills. You go ahead and slide it under her door so I can be an extra. <laughs> just wanted, so I can check that off my bucket list. No, I'm just kidding. Now, like I said, we, <laughs> we are definitely here to talk about um, Behind the Badge, of course. Um so okay. you said that you started back in 1996. Now, during during the 90s, the world was a really, really different place than it was today. More importantly, you actually became an officer in your hometown. Like, did that feel like what made you make that decision to say, hey, shit's fucked up here. I'm going to go be a cop. Well, the reason why I became a cop, I wanted to be a prosecutor first, an attorney. That's what I was going to school for. Okay. Um, I had to leave early, unfortunately. And we had a, uh, my great my grandmother got very, very ill. So my mom then went to take care of her, and I went to support my mom. So I left school early. Um, during that time, I kept on saying to myself, you know, I have criminal justice behind me. I didn't want to feel like I wasted my time going to school those two years. You get what I'm saying? So I was yeah, like, Maybe, you know what? Mm, I wonder what other, where I could, you know, fit law enforcement in. And then I remember the Rodney King beating. And I remember how mm. that made me feel inside. You know, watching these officers beat this black man to the point to where he was helpless. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it was oh, a I very was, disturbing video. I, I, I was alive during that time when all that was going down. Matter of fact, uh, I was okay. in high school. I was in high school at the time. And um, one of my classes, we actually dove in and talked about the impact of how that was. And ironically, that shoddy VHS videotape is the precursor to a lot of stuff we're seeing now these days that people are doing with their cell phones. Um, so me, I, I've seen it all. I've been watching everything that's been going on in regards to the officers and everything like that. But we'll dive a little bit deeper in that because a few of our listeners have really sent some in-depth questions along the lines of that. So, right. So that. So I guess seeing that. What else? I'm no, sorry. No, no, Saying just rethink of you want me to keep going now? No, no, go ahead. Okay. Um, seeing the Rodney King beaten, it made me feel a lot of different ways because I had not had a personal personally had a bad encounter with police officers. So my interpretation of cops was still they are their heroes. They're the ones we call when we need help. So I hadn't saw a bad side of the police until I saw that video. And it made me feel some kind of way. It made me feel like this is not right and somebody got to do something about it. And I felt like, well, why not you? The only way I felt like I could do something about it was to get in it. The only way I could affect change is to become part of the, get in the problem. I can't stand back far away and say, oh, my God, look at you. This is racial. And no, I need to be a part of it because I felt like if I'm a good officer, I become an officer, I'm a good officer. My integrity and the way I carry myself should make bad officers uncomfortable. So just my presence alone should change some, some things. From, actually, should, should uh, avoid some things from happening. It should change the officers around me, their whole mentality, where they feel like, I know we can't do this in front of her. 
I, you kind of get what I'm saying. I definitely get what you're saying. <laughs> definitely. Sometimes I experience that my myself in my career field. Now, um, being the fact that you did become an officer in in your community, did you ever have conflict with people you knew? Because now, in their eyes, you're on the other side of the fence. Now, honestly, when I first started in East Cleveland, no. Everybody knew I was a law enforcement officer. And it was a, it was almost a mutual respect. It was almost, we cool, but you know I have a job to do. Okay. So okay. if you out here doing something you have no business doing, you know I got to do my job. Because I treated people with respect. So it wasn't like, oh, you on the opposite side. I mean... Have I ever heard people say that later on in my career? Absolutely. Okay. But when I was in East Cleveland where I lived, it was not like that. It was almost a mutual respect thing. Okay. So going off of that, you said that once you, you left out of East Cleveland and you were dealing with the other two areas, you did eventually come in contact with people who's like, I can't deal with you. You're a police officer. How did you handle that situation? Because that's like losing your friends in some cases. Well, my thing was, y'all knew me before I became a police officer. And if my profession turns you off that bad, then we don't, then we were never friends in the first place. Because I wouldn't judge or, or judge any of my friends or befriend myself from them because of their uh, career choices, unless they were child molesters or something crazy like that. But just because you, you decided to go into a career choice, choice that I may not agree with other people around you, I'm not going to not be there for you because no matter what they know my badge my badge and my uniform didn't change the person I was okay have you have you ever okay let me let me back up before I do this one Previously, when you did the interview with Jacob, you did state that you were a juvenile officer at one point in time. Um, so thank you for that. Uh -huh. I know you helped tons and tons of the youth not make that bad mistake again. Um, was there ever a particular one that ever stood out to you that, you know, you just had to make sure that this person was still on the straight and narrow? Um, I mean, there's so many. It's so many. Well, right now, I will say, um, Alton Sterling's son, um, everybody that saw the video knows that I spoke out on Facebook after the death of Alton Sterling. Mm -hmm. Well, me and Cameron have been in, in contact with one another, so now I feel like it's my responsibility to make sure that Cameron and his mom, and they're comfortable with him walking across the stage. He's a senior this year. Mm -hmm. I feel like I owe that to his father, even though his father has gone on. I owe that to him because his dad pushed me into my destiny. Um, so that's that's something I think that stands out to me is that making sure that Cameron Sterling walks across that stage. And I mean, anybody that knows him, I would you know I pray for their support for him and his family because we forget about after the lights and the cameras are gone, that family is still grieving the loss of of, of Austin Sterling of the father. You know what I'm saying? Right. Of a father, of a brother. We don't think like that. Yeah, that that is something that we as people, um, especially black people, we love to live in the moment and we chase after whatever uh -huh. the, the new issue is. But we tend to forget uh -huh. about the previous issue and still keep that movement going. Um, so, yes, definitely. For those of you guys out there, you know, if you know the young man, make sure you keep pushing him in every day. I don't think he will have an issue crossing that stage because... He's a smart, brilliant young man anyway. So uh -huh. we'll definitely we'll definitely be there for him. 
on that day he graduates. Hell, I probably will interview dude when <laughs> when he gets done. Okay. Wow. Yes. No, I definitely would do that. Now, uh, staying in the the same question, has there ever been ones where you felt that no matter how hard you try, you just have to give up on that young man? Um, I don't think I've ever given up. I have turned it over to, and for me, you know, I believe in God. You know, everybody has their own different religions, and I don't speak against any any religion. But I usually, if once it gets to the point where I see a child is really not hearing me, mm-hmm. I'll try to direct the parents to a different resource. So I try my best not to say, well, you know what, forget it. I'll say, listen, maybe you need some counseling. Maybe she's looking to get them counseling. So I never, per se, give up because I'm always praying. At the end of the day, I go home and say, Lord, you know what? The children's lives that I touch today, God, please help them. You know, where I couldn't touch them, you touch them. So I pray about it. And I never, ever, I don't ever feel like I give up on them because I feel like if I continue to to be a role model to them, hopefully something about me or something I did will rub off on them and they'll hear it one day. Mm. <laughs> See? This is the reason why we need more officers like you, because you actually care more about the people in the situation than what really goes on with your uniform. Um, And that's going to roll into our next question. Um, How did it feel being a part of what some people refer to as the boy in blue club? Now, see, I, I, and it's so funny. I've never even heard of that little thing until recently. The blue line, the boys in blue club. You got to remember, I'm a female, so they probably would say that around me. Okay. And in a lot of departments, you'll have, it's division inside of a lot of departments. You'll have the white officers, the black officers, then you have the female officers. Mm-hmm. So you have the black, black, the white officers on top, you know, they're the elite. Then you have the black male officers. Then you'll have the white female officers. Then you'll have the black female officers. But the females usually are grouped together and we're like lower than everybody else. So me here and I've never heard of the blue club. And then you got to remember, I worked in mostly suburbs. Mm-hmm. So I was never in a humongous, a big department. I didn't realize that the blue wall of silence really existed until after I spoke out after Arthur Sterling's death. Mm. That's when I was like, oh my God, this, this is real. See, and me personally, I've kind of known about that wall because this interview or this series of interviews that I'm working on, it actually took me almost two years to even get to the point we are right now because a lot of officers just didn't want to talk. They, they really was resistance about just speaking about being an officer and most of Uh them are people I personally know and I can see it in their face like they Uh really want to say Tone I really want to do this I really want to do this do you just understand I would love to help you out but I can't and I'm like why Uh can't you I'm not asking you about a specific case I'm not asking you about a a specific situation I'm asking you about the life of an officer. No, man, I can't. I can't talk. I can't say nothing. I can't do nothing. It even got to the point where one of my officer friends sent me a message saying, hey, if you're going to do it, don't get nobody in the city because once they trace it back to you, it's going to be a difficult time for that person. I'm like, wow, it's really that serious? Like, And then by you even explaining how 
there's even a racial sexual divide even amongst the police force that's that's a huge thing to me because i didn't think that y'all would be separated that much yet y'all have to go out there and put your lives on the line together every single day that's 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 really shocking to me yeah, you, I mean, you, it is almost like the African-American community. Think about it. We'll fight, and that's why I tell people all the time that we really have to bridge this gap between the police and the community, as well as this racial tension that's going on. Because if this turns into a race war, I had a young lady call, an older white lady call me, and I was not offended. Um, she, 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 she's wealthy, and she said, I sympathize with you all, but it's not, what you're going through does not affect me. And what I had to explain to her was, do you understand? You see all this black-on-black crime? You see we killing people that look like us? What do you think will happen if a racial war really break out? Do you think they will really care about you, or do you think they coming out there where you at? And she was like, oh, my God, I never thought of that. Absolutely, you need to think about this. Yeah. This is real serious. This is something we need to really bridge this gap. It's not a joke, so you got to think about the same thing in the police department. Yeah, we gonna go out together. We these are my brothers and sisters in blue. But when we're when we ain't on a conflict outside, there's conflict going on inside the department. Mm. Who gonna get a raise? What you doing for the raise? This that I mean, it's a lot of things that go on inside the police department that people don't. It's almost like a normal job. Mm. That and def- a lot of departments will tell you that. I'll tell you that. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh no, no I was gonna say that definitely makes <laughs> sense. That definitely makes sense because. You can work at a grocery store and you'll have conflict in regards to it. So I don't know why people yep. would think. Okay. You brought up something good, which would definitely roll into uh, a couple of the next questions that we do have. Um, what was the first time you actually felt that you actually made a change in the community as your time as an officer? <sighs> Probably when I first put the uniform on. Because I had a lot of friends that were, what you said was like, you want to be a cop? Are you crazy? I mean, a lot of them were not. It wasn't the fact that they didn't like the police. It was, you know, that job is so dangerous. And you know what? People don't care about the police. And da 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 So I feel like as soon as I put that uniform on, it was almost like I was defying the odds. When people say mm-hmm. I can't, it makes you want to. And then I felt like I was going to be a role model for all those children, males and females, that felt like I People are saying I can't do it or mm. I shouldn't do it, but I did it, you know, and that, I think that that was my, one of my biggest accomplishments was even going, you know, going through with it. Cause you know, when you hear a lot of people saying you shouldn't do that girl, you're crazy. Why would you want to put your life on the line like that? And then you, you know, hear all this negativity. It's easy for you to be like, okay, I'm not doing it. But right. to persevere through that, knowing that this is your destiny. I think that's, you you won half the battle as soon as you do that. So I would say that was probably one of my first great accomplishments was graduating from the police academy and putting that uniform. Okay. And you most definitely had many, many more after that one. So that's always a good thing. Oh, yeah. Okay. Or else we wouldn't be talking today. You don't know how many people you may be <laughs> motivating as we speak. Um, now, yeah, you never, girl, you don't know what these, you don't know who be listening it might be that one person who can't think of who who can't think of what to do with their life, turn around and become a cop. Phew. Praise yeah. Jesus. <laughs> um so <laughs> I told you you dealing with me, you're gonna get a lot of energy. Um so another question that came from one of our listeners is 
what do you think that we as a community and police as well mm-hmm. could do to help fix and rebuild the police community relationship because like you said our community the black community is at that point in in our lives where we don't trust a cop no matter what color they are in regards to it mm-hmm. we we honest to god think that every cop is on bs regardless of what it is and we know that's not the case it may be three or four bad cops in a whole division but everybody else is still good but it just takes those three or four cops or that one facebook video that leaks out that makes us burn down gas stations and destroy homes you know so what do you think we can do to Um, help improve that um, I would say, again, I've, I've said it several times, People, I, I tell the community, get together, go to your police department, ask your chief, listen, go to your city council meeting, listen, we need some community-oriented policing. We need for you to bring that back. We need for you to implement that again. Because what happens when you have community-oriented policing means that you're dealing with me, not during a crisis. Which means I could just knock on your door. Hey, how you doing, Anthony? I'm Officer Jones. You know what? I just want to come by and say hi and introduce myself and let you know if you ever need anything, I'm here. No matter what. If you just need to talk, I'm here. Or you outside barbecuing in your yard and I walk past and say, hey, how you doing? Like, hey, Officer Jones, come over and get a bone. You know, back in the day, it was like that. Now, it's almost like we don't have any interaction with the community unless it's something bad. And the community don't have any interaction with us unless it's something bad. When they do these black parties, you need to include officers in it. Um, mm. The other thing that and we're doing something actually here in 2019, but you need to start honoring good officers. Because think about it. When you see us in the spotlight, it's usually because we did something we have no business doing. So in order to, 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 to help fight off that darkness, you need, to pre- you need to replace it with light. So what about honoring good officers? And let the community pick them. We wouldn't pick them. Let's get, the community knows. Y'all know what's going on. You know a good officer when you see one. And then honor those officers and honor their family. You know, that's a good feeling. A lot of people don't understand. It's a good feeling to hear somebody just say thank you. Mm. You know, yeah. thank you for your service. A lot of people don't understand. You know, our job is really, my job really is to take a bullet for you. That's my job. Sadly, it's true. Yeah. So, and you know what? You brought up some really great points. You know, I might actually contact one of our local law enforcements here and see if they have something like that going on and maybe even push it because that's a great idea. I, I really do think that a lot of situations now in this day and age, and it could be just because of the uh, lack of available police units because a lot of cities don't have a big enough police force like they used to. And we can only dispatch you guys in times when we need because you guys are always that big. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But yeah, maybe if we could get back to them just doing the basic stuff, doing the meet and greets kind of a situations, having them at the block party, but not having them in the sense of security, but more as interaction. 
um, that would definitely help. And honoring the good right. cops being picked by the communities—that that's ooh, that's a fantastic idea. I'm gonna have to, yeah, I'm gonna have to steal that one and take all the credit for it. But <laughs> no, I won't do that. But I will definitely get that over there to them. Now, another question that came as a follow-up to the community relation one is. A lot of the outrage that's been going on in regards to uh, the police community relationship has to do with a lot of stuff that happens on social media. So do you personally feel that with the way social media is giving us access above and beyond anything we had in, let's say, the 90s, do you think social media is really helping or hurting the police community relationships? Well... Hmm. I mean, it can be both ways. To me, it can hurt it if you're not able to see the whole, the whole tape or the whole situation from beginning to end. Because if I just put a part of it out, now you can form your own opinion of it. You get what I'm saying? I definitely. It's helping because I believe a lot of these things were going were going on back in the day. It just we were unaware of it. And now it's just think people are being exposed and things are being exposed and you need that. The only way you can change something is to admit there's a problem there. And a lot of times you, uh, it was almost like you couldn't prove it was a problem because nobody saw it. It was your word against the police. The police were known as the elite. So if you came in and said this happening, you don't have any proof. Guess who they're going to believe? The police. Now, another thing that has been brought to my attention is one of the biggest uproars lately has been going on is yes officers are now starting to be required to have cameras on them dash cams which have always been there um have definitely been improved you can see more but a lot of people are feeling that in these situations you're not getting full access to the whole situation that you're only getting part of it and things are being manipulated to make it not seem that way. Is that something that has came across you guys tables as something that's happened before, or is this just like a one-off situation that seems to be going on? I mean, it may, of course you have to remember anytime something doesn't look right, we're going to be saying something was manipulated. It don't matter whether it's on the police side or whether it's on the community side. So if the community sees a video that the police have and they don't, they already don't feel right about the situation. No matter what that department says, they're going to feel like y'all did something to that tape. The same way if a, if, if a, if a normal citizen takes a video of there with their phone and they put it out there, of course, the police are going to say, no, they manipulated that video. That's not what happened. So, I mean, to me, I feel like the videos were, the, 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 the body cams were actually put in place to not only protect the citizens, but to protect officers. And if it's used and it's utilized correctly, it can. Because officers know your accountability is going to be on that tape. Because a lot of departments, as soon as you turn on your life, that camera comes on. So my question is to a chief would be, be okay, so we know you turned your life on. Why wasn't your camera, why wasn't your camera on? So now if your camera's not on, I know there's a problem somewhere. Something in a lot of departments, you'll get written up. Like, you'll get big trouble for not having your body camera on. Okay. And see, the reason why I'm asking this question, because these are things that people don't know. They always assume that everybody behind the scenes protects everybody behind the scenes so they don't know that like right. you get disciplined just like any other job if you're eating on the job Absolutely. at a grocery store you get in trouble just like these cops and but to know mm-hmm. that when the light comes on the camera comes on that does give a lot of people mm-hmm. a little bit of reassurance that they know 
this is being recorded. Right. So Right. We can kind of stop freaking out so much when you get in basic traffic violation. Because that's what I've noticed about social media. It's like, you know you have bad plates. You know you have a tail light out. So you know that when you're getting uh-huh. pulled over, this is the reason why you're getting pulled over. But people are now, like, immediately turning their phone on and videotaping. Like, yeah, I got pulled over by the cops. I just want to watch so this don't get out of hand. Like, bro. It's not going to get out of hand unless you make it get out of hand. <laughs> That's not, it's, right. it's both sides of the thing. Okay. So with the, the, the escalation uh, of situations, uh, one of the questions that came across the table is what is being done with officers before graduating from the academy to teach them how to de-escalate a situation without death, tasering, or any violence uh, while handling the person, specifically a person of color? Well, I mean, you have all kind of of of, uh, of uh, training during the police academy. We teach you uh, de-escalation tactics on how to talk to people, on how to you know how to react. But you also something that you have to show, you I, you have to see the flip side of it too. If I don't want to be de-escalated, I don't give a dog on what you say to me. And I've dealt with people like that. I've dealt with people no matter what I did, ma'am, please, wait a minute, let me talk to you for a minute. They are going berserk. So sometimes that de-escalation, it don't work. I don't care how much, how how many tactics you try. It's almost like saying you got a hot-headed police officer and... You as a you as a citizen, you've been taught how to de-escalate stuff. Say if you went through some kind of training, or you're really a nice person. Have mm-hmm. you seen? Uh, I've seen videos where the African American, some of the African American male is trying to calm the situation down. The police just keep getting hyper and hyper, and he like, I don't want no problem. I'm doing what you asked me to do, and he just keep getting hyper and hyper. Sometimes mm-hmm. there are situations where de-escalation ain't happening. You know what I'm saying? And it it just happens because, and a lot of times it's because there's so much tension between the community and the police. As soon as you have an interaction, you immediately go on guard. And then that officer can see that in you. Now he automatically goes on guard. Now you got a problem. Hmm. So what about the situations where you can clearly see that the, the person is not being combative? They're following everything you said. Everything is being done. And, like, you're asking them to get out the car. You're asking them to do things like this. But they just seem so eager to put their hands on their gun. Like, is that, is, are they taught to be ready for anything? Or is that just years and years of just built up kind of a situation? I, I know that's a lot to ask you, but these are some of the things that people are asking me, and I kind of want to know too. It seems like, because like for an example, I got pulled over one time in regards to my back taillight. Didn't know it was out. Brand new to me. Okay? Officer asked me to step out the car. I step out the car. Looks in my car. Now, honestly at this point in time, I don't know what he's looking for. He hasn't given me any reason to be looking for me, so I really should be upset about why are you going through my car. But I'm sleepy. I want to go home. Go ahead and look. You ain't going to find nothing but some Cheetos and a Mountain Dew. <laughs> but he seemed like his partner the whole time had his hands on his gun waiting for me to just be ignorant. Is that normal? Well, like I said, I mean, no, it's not normal for me. And I worked in 
East Cleveland was probably one of the roughest neighborhoods in Cleveland, so I didn't walk around with my hand on my gun 24-7. Now, there are times when you'll get uncomfortable and you may rest your hand there. Then some officers, it's just a habit. Okay. So you got to think about us, how we walk. So a lot of times you'll see officers that just be standing around talking to one another. You never see it, and they'll rest their hand on their gun. And it's see, not that they're that it's just it just becomes a habit. Mm. But it's a bad habit because to us, you know, and to the community, it's almost like you feel threatened, almost like you're about to try to shoot me. Yes. Some officers have a bad habit of resting their hand there because I've done it before. I'll be sitting there talking, you know, out there talking to you know, just people and I'll just rest my hand in there and it's not I'm not being offensive, I'm not on the call or anything. It's just a bad habit. Mm. You know what I'm saying? It's a, it's, a, it's a real bad habit. Now, do you have scary officers that hold on to their guns? They, of course, because I, I know some. And I'm like, well, what's wrong with you? Why are you, what's, what's the matter with you? I'd be afraid they're going to shoot me. <laughs> and, and, and I, I get mean, that. I'm not I being funny. But no, be honest with you, you probably have just cleared up so much conflict that a lot of our listeners had. Because, yes, I have seen, now that you mention it, I can understand how resting your hand right there could really be the whole thing. But of course, this is not something we're knowledgeable about. Like we don't interact with police officers on a daily basis if that's not part of our career field. So, yeah, the officer might, like you said, they have a habit of putting their hands there and we see that. So we're instantly freaking out. And then with the day and age that we live in. This African American male can be like, "Hey, bro, why you got your hands on your gun? What's going on?" Like, you know, like, and now he's freaking out when he didn't need to freak out because it was a misunderstanding. Now, a misunderstanding has turned Absolutely. into a violent situation that it was just a misunderstanding. So, you hear that, people? Absolutely. If you ever see an officer with their hand on their gun, it's not there because they they're ready to pull the trigger. They could just be resting their arm right there because y'all gear look heavy. <laughs> it, it is. It's very heavy. I mean, you even if you pay attention to some officers, they wash their arms there so much. You ain't never seen officers where you be like, they look like Bonnie, what is it, Bonnie Five. They, they gun look real far away from their hip. Yes. And you're like, why are they gun not close to their hip? It almost like their gun is about to fall off their hip. That's because over many years, they're resting their arm on it or resting uh. their hammer. It actually pulls away from your, it, it, it loosens your gun belt, I mean, your, your holster from your uh, belt. So a lot of times, and I'm not saying all the time, because yes, you do have those scary officers that when they got the car, they always got to put their hand there. It's almost like a security blanket. And for me, those type of officers, it, it's a problem. You shouldn't be no cop if you're that, that afraid. This is true. This is true. Now, you said earlier that you, you went from East Cleveland and then you eventually transferred over to Highland Hills. What was the culture like mm-hmm. switching between the two? Oh, my God. Uh, Highland Hills is so small. Basically, I was a traffic cop. I'm being totally honest. I mean, we had part. It's it's a very small suburb inside of Warrensville almost. So and then and that was where I was a juvenile officer. So anything that had to deal with our juveniles that lived in our city, I took care of. But I was basically a traffic police officer. I gave tickets. And I'm and that's not really who I am. I'm not really a ticket writer. There are some officers that that's weird for electrician. That's just what they enjoy. I wasn't one of them. I mean, I did it, but it wasn't something I enjoyed to do. I'd rather be interacting with the community. Right. You sound like you're a, you're more of a people person anyway. So you sound like doing that job probably bored you more than anything. <laughs> 
So, right. Yes. So being in a small community, that means that you were able to definitely get to know the people a lot better. Did you feel that you had more, how can I put this, petty incidences that you guys are being called upon more so than the severe incidences that occurred in East Cleveland? Oh, yeah. It was nothing. Like, it was two totally different cities. It was nothing like it. I mean, we still had the similar, like, juveniles fighting or things like that, but nothing is major in East Cleveland, no. Okay. Because, like, the thing about it is, the reason why I ask that particular question is, it seems like lately that people of a suburban area or people from a fair-skinned complexion have been more so using the police as more of like truant officers or traffic cops. Every little small situation that can be diffused by simple conversation they seem to run to make those phone calls to get the police involved instead. Now, is is that something that you kind of seen kind of often in the Highland Hills area where you really didn't need to be here, but they still called you anyway? No, I mean, Highland Hills, no. Highland Hills was a very quiet suburb, so we really didn't get calls like that. We would get petty calls, but not from a racial standpoint, if that's what you're asking, because it was yeah. predominantly black. Okay, Ooh, um, even better. No, even so better. we, we <laughs> yeah, so we, we, it, no, we didn't get those kind of calls. But I will tell you that, you know, being a law enforcement officer and working in Lawrenceville and a few others, and when, even when I was in East Cleveland, you got petty calls. People would call the police, and I'm talking, and I'm not talking about racially, I'm talking about us. We, they would call the police and say, uh, we got a fight up here. And then if we don't come, and then if we didn't come, if we didn't come fast enough, what they would do is call back and say, somebody got a gun. On purpose. Mm. Because you know if you say gun, we're coming faster. We get calls about kids playing put, playing basketball in the street. My mentality would be, well, why wouldn't you want them to play basketball? Right. You know, they're not out here cheering up the lawn. So we get those kind of calls. Also, petty calls from, this, from us. We do the same thing to each other. Call just to make the police come out there. Now, I mean, do, so we we do the same thing. as just go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. It's really gonna play right off of what you're saying. Too. Uh, it, it it's just now it's starting to be a racially motivated thing because there are there are uh, whites. It seems like their callers are white. You know, from I mean, I'm assuming uh, they're all white, and we you may not even know if they're all white. Because some of them, most of the time, usually when somebody calls the police trying to be spiteful. They always remain anonymous. Mm. They don't want you to know. And you know you can do that. You can call the police and say, hey, I don't want nobody to know who I am to call it. But they're watching everything you're doing. That's why I tell police officers all the time, when you think it's something racially motivated or, or this is one of those folly, cl- folly calls just trying to cause confusion, change it around. Like the young man that was, I don't know if you heard about the young man, that was uh, he was selling newspapers, he was delivering newspapers. I think he was seven years old and somebody called the police on him. What? As a law enforcement officer, once I got there, I would, yes, I would have helped him out to carry his little, little bag and helped him deliver his papers. So, we, so I would have turned that situation into something good. So what you're telling me is people calling, yeah. the, calling the cops on young entrepreneurs trying to get to your morning news. What is wrong with you people? <laughs> Let this man deliver his yeah. papers. He ain't doing nothing to you. 
But this was this was this was supposedly a white lady that did it to a little uh, Hispanic boy, a little black boy. <sighs> yep. Y'all need to get it together. Because I don't want every single police situation to be because some white person called. That's terrible. They're giving them nicknames now because it's so bad. Now, but piggybacking on that, um, are there consequences for people who don't, who do things like this? Like, if I'm calling the cops on a little boy delivering paper at 7 o'clock in the morning, and you realize, okay, the phone call came from this house right here, do you guys go up to them and actually address the situation with them, or is it just like another resource loss? I mean, if you can prove that a person is maliciously calling the police and harassing, because it, that would be considered harassment. Okay. If I'm just maliciously calling the police on you uh, because of who you are, the color of your skin, or just because I don't like you, it's called harassment. Not only that, depending upon what you call the police to say, you can get arrested for inciting a panic. Misuse of emergency services. If you call 911, there's so many things that we can get you with. That's the reason I said a lot of times when it's nonsense, they use your, I want to remain anonymous. And you can't, they can tell you who they are. Okay. And so, and then, that, and then unfortunately for law enforcement, it makes us look bad because we have to answer the calls. Right. It's not like we can say, oh, this is BS, we're not answering because what if something is really going on? Right. See, that's not fair. See, now I, I'm now that I'm I'm being a little bit enlightened about what you guys go through behind the scenes. Yeah, I I, I can see how sometimes you guys can get tired of going to take care of a situation when it's really not that, but because the state of what it is, you have to do it. You definitely have to do it. Now, one of the um, one of our listeners did send me this one. They said. Seeing that you're no longer a part of the law enforcement, what changes are you making within the community to educate the people of color to protect themselves, to conduct themselves, and how to handle situations when it comes to dealing with law enforcement? Um, that's the reason why the book, The Truth Divided, was written, so that you all, especially the younger generation, could read this book and look at it from the eyes of a good police officer, but also understand that I get it. I'm African-American, so I get I, the same feeling y'all get. I get when I take my uniform off, I get nervous sometimes depending upon where I'm at and get pulled over. And I'm a cop. Mm. And my husband's a cop. So I get it. You know what I'm saying? I have two sons. So I put it in that book so that you all can read it and have something y'all can keep. You know, knowledge is power. So now you've got this book with you so you'll know how to conduct yourself. You'll know how to how to, how to react when you're dealing with officers off the hook. Not only that, I... I, I, I share on Facebook all the time, and my following is, 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 is amazing. Yeah. Um, I'm doing other little groups. I'm still going to school, and um, I'm talking to the youth. We're putting together a Stop the Violence um, Gala in 2019. It's going to be off the hook. It's something nobody's ever seen before. So I'm continuing in my community to do the things that I feel like God is pushing me to do. Yeah, I'm not a law enforcement officer, and it hurts because it was that was a lot of years. That wasn't just my job. That was my career. I gave a lot of my time, a lot of time that I could have spent with my children, I gave to my community. So I'm not going to stop now. My voice is about to be louder than ever. As it should be. 
It should be. Now we are we are coming close to this interview, and once again, I do want to thank you for taking time out your busy schedule to do this for me. Um, it is definitely opening a lot of doors, and and my listeners are definitely grateful for you doing this as well too. Where can we get more of you? So first, where can we get your book from? And number two. How can we come see them plays? Like, I'm overdue for a good play. Okay. You, no, I need a good play. Oh, my God. I can't take Tyler Perry no more. Oh, okay. I need new people. You better get ready. Listen, you better get ready because they have compared me to him. Like, if you see some of my videos, they're like, Tyler Perry, you better uh, watch out. This woman is phenomenal. But I have to always give God the glory because to be a writer, that's a gift. Trust me. But, um... You can actually, you can follow me on IG. Um, it's Officer Nakia Jones Cleveland. So it's Officer Nakia Jones Cleveland. Um, and then it also has like my PayPal stuff. You can click to get the book. Um, you can follow me on Facebook on at The Real Officer Nakia Jones. Make sure it's The Real Officer Nakia Jones. Um, um, you can follow me on Twitter also. It's Officer Nakia Jones on Twitter as well. The book can be purchased also on Amazon, Google, Barnes and Noble. It's anywhere you can buy a book, that book is there. And it's and like I said, it's doing very, very well. The plays, um, you can actually follow me on Facebook under Nakia Jones Productions. I always put the new plays that are coming up. Mm. And my next play that will be coming up early next year is called Hell Has a Fury Like a Woman's Scorn. And it is going to be phenomenal. Okay. Right. But you'll be back. You know how I know you're gonna be back because I'm gonna have you Absolutely. back. Absolutely, we gonna we gonna talk about these plays. We gonna get deep into it. We gonna talk about ways to help people get into the arts. We got a lot that we gonna be doing, Miss Jones. And I just want you to know that yes. you you yes. always have not only a voice but a home here at Tone Deaf Radio. So before I let oh you go for this God. evening, do you have any insightful words that you would like to share with our listeners? Um. What I was going to say is, you know what, never let anybody change who you are. You know what I'm saying? Don't let someone's actions make you misrepresent who you are. You always be true to who you are and always remember, when we become silent about things that mean mean a lot or, or test our morals, that's when we become a dead voice. That's called a dead voice. We always need to speak about things that are important. Um, and that's it. Okay. With that being said, people, once again, I'd like to thank Ms. Jones for joining us here on this episode of Unscripted. Make sure you check us out on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spreaker, or wherever else you listen to your podcast at. And with that being said, you guys go ahead and have a wonderful evening.
Yeah. 